Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5 with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. So we are continuing our discussions on body image today with our guest, Amanda Martinez-Beck, who is a weight-inclusive body image expert and coach, in addition to being a fat body liberation activist, podcaster, neighbor, writer, and anti-racist. So on today's episode with Amanda, we are diving deep into fat liberation versus body positivity, fat liberation and faith, diet devotionals, and the damaging nature and undertones behind saying, I feel fat. Before we get started today, huge thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's podcast. Wholehearted Eating listeners can get 10% off their first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash Dana. Also, one more thing before we get started today, Dana here, obviously, I wanted to apologize because we had some technical issues that were completely and totally my fault, and the first part of Amanda's story that we were asking her about got cut out. So I wanted to give you a little bit of a recap before we just jump right in. So Amanda had started by talking about her experience with COVID-19 last fall. So she was actually in the hospital on a ventilator for one and a half months in fall 2020. Her whole family got COVID, even though they were being as careful as possible. And Amanda was talking about how she feels really lucky to be alive and takes that belief into everything that she does now. So if you wanted to learn more about her experience with long COVID, which she's still experiencing, You can learn a little bit more on her Instagram. She talks about it a lot. So going into more of what we were talking about in the episode, Amanda was talking about how her relationship with religion was challenging the diet culture and healthism beliefs that she was taught growing up. So diet culture uses a lot of religious language. It promises hope, freedom, joy, and relationships with others. And diet culture also promises freedom from the burden of being in a larger body than is socially acceptable. Amanda is also sharing how she became inspired to become a part of the fat liberation movement and embrace fat as a neutral descriptor, which is where we join into her story. What if I just let myself have some breath? I just stopped restricting because I, I noticed it led to binging. So I kind of stumbled my way backwards into intuitive eating. <laughs> and I didn't know at the time I had an eating disorder but uh, finding resources like an anti-dietitian, health at every size, and a therapist that specializes in eating disorders like has revolutionized my life. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing so much interpersonal um, relationship that you have with your faith and with your body and how that plays such a big role. In some ways it led you into this space of of having such a negative relationship with food, but it also sounds like your relationship with God and your, um, your faith was one of your most impactful influencers, right? Like how you shared that. And now you have a podcast, right? Called, um, fat and faithful, right. Um, which is incredible. And I, I, I would love for you to share if you're more, if you're open about how, embracing the body that God gave you was something, a theme of yours that you talk a lot about on, um, on your social media and I'm sure on your podcast as well as probably the main theme. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so I decided I wanted to become a writer when I got pregnant with my third child. Um, childcare costs outweighed working. Uh, so I started to stay home, which was hellishly challenging because I was also pregnant with my fourth um, on accident, a joyful accident, but um, <laughs> I decided I wanted to be a writer. And 
It was around the time that Oprah bought um, stock in Weight Watchers. And so I, I wrote uh, my second article ever published was called, oh my goodness, the name is escaping me, but it was on Oprah's best body in air quotes and the body of Christ. And I just realized how much ling religious language that that diet culture um, uses. And um, there's a thing called the prosperity gospel, which is um, the idea that if you do everything right, God will bless you with money and love and success. And that's not um, the tradition of Christianity um, or the church um, because, I mean, literally our founder was murdered by state violence um, and was homeless. So how, how do we, I was trying to sift through understanding this is why diet culture appeals to so many, including me. It's promising me hope and freedom and joy and relationships with others um, and just freedom from the burden of being in a body larger than socially acceptable. And I came across a, an article that my friend, now friend, Nicole had written for Christianity Today, God loves my fat body as it is. And we started talking and realized in fat acceptance, there aren't any other voices of faith from a Christian standpoint. There's a huge Jewish influence in the fat acceptance movement. So Nicole and I started the Fat and Faithful podcast where we decided that we were gonna talk about bodies and politics and culture and all these things from a fat perspective, not necessarily just about fatness, but just the world through a fat body's lens. And it has been such a fun thing to produce. <clears throat> and Nicole has moved on to other projects. So starting season five, it will be me as the host. And I'm really excited to get episodes out there uh, as the summer progresses. So we have episodes on intuitive eating and health at every size and fat joy and fat struggles. And um, I, I don't know, like on paper, it's a mediocrely successful podcast, but the relationships that we have fostered through it have changed me and people have told me it's changed them. So we keep on going. <laughs> I think that's important. I, I doubt it's mediocre because I'm sure the conversations that you're having on there are, like you said, incredibly impactful and important conversations to have. And um, one of the things that I've been thinking, we've mentioned a couple of times, but for any of our readers who don't know what it is, I would love for you to clarify um, what we mean by when we ask you about fat liberation and what fat liberation is so that people who are listening can get a very clear definition of what it is that you're talking about. And also, I want to learn more about fat joy. I really love that. <laughs> I love that. And I'd love for you to talk about that too. Awesome. Fat liberation is advocating that everybody, regardless of its size, has access to health care that is discrimination-free, weight-neutral, access to clothing in brick-and-mortar stores across the world, access to um, seating and public spaces like restaurants, doctor's offices, and travel um, 
like airplanes and trains and cars. Plus, so that's the accessibility aspect because um, the world is not, the world is hostile to fat bodies. And then in addition to accessibility, the recognition for myself, my, my interpersonal relationships, my community, and my, the institutions in my life that I deserve to exist there with whatever attitude I want to have. Joy, anger, um, discontent, all the things that we see in a lot of the feminist movement um, where women are, are, have the right to bring them their whole selves to the table. That's also a component of what we're asking for in fat liberation. So amazing. And I think some people might be a little bit confused of the Venn diagram that exists with body positivity and fat liberation, right? And we know you've done an amazing thread on your Instagram about the limitations and the fundamental problems with like the hashtag body positivity movement and how it deals with power in the ways that you described, where it places personal responsibility and how it centers those who are already in cultural power and who have that kind of societal status, who it profits. So can you talk about how body positivity fundamentally is completely different from fat liberation? Body positivity began as the term for fat liberation originally. Uh, the, the idea was embrace the body you're in and fight for your access as you are. Um, one of white people's favorite thing to do is to take an idea that belonged to one group of people and then make it our own. <laughs> and um, it is a given that in our country, white, thin people have more power than white, fat people, people of color in any size body, um, white, able-bodied, thin people. <clears throat> specifically women, even though there is definitely a male strain of um, body awareness, right? There, the, the term body positivity was co-opted by uh, commercial means, like um, think of the Dove commercial that has it's a beautiful representation of human body diversity, but uh, think about if you've seen it, it's about how you perceive yourself. And if you could just change self-perception, life would be amazing. I absolutely believe that self-perception is a part of that liberation, but not just the responsibility of the individual um, to liberate bodies. Fat liberation means freedom for everybody because what whoever is the fattest in a room, right, in relative uh, relativity to the rest of the people, there is micro hierarchicalization. I can't say that word. Hierarchy. There's a hierarchy a weight-based hierarchy. And when we break loose and say, it's okay to be fat, that hierarchy can't exist with power. People don't like that. So especially people in body positive movement, they don't wanna see that they're wielding power that they need to give, like they need to tear down. So fat liberation has four levels. And yes, it's, I believe that it starts at an individual level, but all of the four levels are coexistent. First is the level, the person at the personal level. I have to recognize the dignity of my human body and that has the right to exist. And the internal voice feedback loop that says, you're not enough, you're too much, you're 
um, like undesirable, unattractive, all those things that can exist in your body, you can recognize them and you don't have to be free of them, but to be aware of them is where we have to move to and work through that. That piece, I put it first because it starts at the smallest level, but that piece often comes much later in the body justice journey. The second level is interpersonal. How do I perceive the bodies of people I'm in relationship with? And how do they communicate to me about their bodies and my body? For example, if you're in a family and a parent of yours is obsessed with slimness, and you know that if I encounter this person, it's going to cause me harm, learning to set up boundaries. And, and sometimes those are personal, I can't go over to their house, I can't be with them one-on-one -on -one boundaries. And sometimes it is verbal or explicitly written boundaries. I love you because you're my family member. I am not comfortable with you talking about my body. I do not give you permission to do that. Here are the consequences if you do that. I will leave, you won't see me, etc. So learning to navigate those interpersonal relationships at a, a liberation level for the sake of everyone, honestly. Everyone needs to know that it's not okay to comment on other people's bodies and that all bodies are indeed good. Level three is at the community level. This is your churches, your synagogues, your mosques or group meetings, your fraternities and sororities, your glee clubs, you know, anywhere where you're gathering and there are policies um, and culture about body size, um, including workplaces. I'm thinking like the local offices, even if you're a part of a corporation, <clears throat> is our fat bodies accommodated? and accepted, are they free of being penalized for their size? I have been in places where, for example, churches have weight loss programs connected to their spirituality. My friend, Nicole Morgan, my co-host of the podcast calls them diet devotionals or diet devotional programs. And they tie the concept of uh, body size morality, body size to morality, the tie body size to morality. And that is actually a deeply embedded lie in our culture that the size of your body reveals your character, whether that be in a business sense, a religious sense, a social sense. And I think it's most harmful in spiritual communities, but I think it's harmful in every community. Um, at, at the community level, the people who are making decisions need to have fat perspective from a fat, actual fat person. And I'm a consultant, you can hire me if you're listening to this and you say, well, I don't know how to make my community fat uh, inclusive, but you need to talk to a fat person or many, many fat people preferably on is our seating okay? Um, is our culture one of fat jokes? Is our culture one of commenting on other people's food? Do we have workplace policies that incentivize thinness? And those are really common um, where people with a certain BMI get a discount on their health insurance. Um, <clears throat> or weight loss office pools, that also happens. Or like 
no boundaries about diet talk in a workplace, which is unnecessary unless you're a dietitian. <laughs> like, um, and, and even then you don't need to talk to your colleagues about what you're eating or they're eating. So um, that's at the community level. And I will say um, one of the most important things at the spiritual, from the spiritual perspective is there's a verse that often gets used in churches and diet devotionals that says, did you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And people say, well, I'm, I'm just taking care of my temple. Like where the Holy Spirit lives, I want it to be healthy. First of all, where do, where do I start? <laughs> First of all, that is ableist. And that means that people with chronic conditions, terminal illnesses, um, a disability of any kind, can't have the right body, the, like the perfect body to do God's work. From a Catholic perspective, on paper, we believe that each person's dignity rests in their existence and not in their ability to perform. So. Secondly, in um, the book of Micah, um, God says through the prophet, um, I've shown you what the Lord requires of you, and it isn't weight loss, and it isn't uh, fitting into a certain size clothing. It isn't how much you can bench press. It's do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Like those are the things that we're called to um, as Christian people of the Christian faith. And I think those three things um, can go beyond um, spiritual practices. Doing justly, like work for justice. I can do that in any size body I'm in, <laughs> especially with the internet. Um, disability, I am disabled. Disability can't prevent me from working on the internet personally. And two, loving mercy. Um, one of the most common things that I encounter is when my COVID journey is people blaming me for almost dying. What did you expect? You're so fat. Um, of course you're gonna die, um, which I'm always like, um, everybody dies, so yes. <laughs> uh, but the trolls like to accuse me of being the one who caused my near death experience and, and ridicule me for being on oxygen. And um, so that's not loving mercy. <laughs> Loving mercy is seeing someone, no matter what, if they're sick, and caring for them extravagantly, <clears throat> standing up for their human dignity, um, and then walking humbly. Like that is a whether you have a higher power or not. I mean, Socrates talks about um, humility. Ben Franklin resolved to be humble like Jesus and Socrates. <laughs> um, and those three things encapsulate what I want my life to look like. And thinness is not on there. In fact, the more time I focus on um, achieving perfection, the less time I have to care for my neighbor and to care for myself. So um, those are really, for me, uh, important parts of the communal level of fat liberation. And then the fourth is structural or institutionalized body justice, um, access to healthcare, um, fat phobia in the examination room, uh, the malpractice that happens right now with fat bodies. I, I can't even count the number of times I've heard stories of people going in 
for pain, abdominal pain or back pain or GI issues. And without examining them, they are told that they need to lose weight and they are offered um, a referral for weight loss surgery. People, these people have turned out to have cancer or a slipped disc. And that is so contrary to the fundamentals of medicine, medical ethics, that it needs an, an institutional structural redo, redoing. Also health insurance, um, sorry, life insurance. Um, they have a BMI cutoff. I am, I am not eligible to buy life insurance. Um, but fat people deserve to plan for their families after they are gone and just access um, at a structural level. So those are the four levels, personal, interpersonal, community-wide, and structural. I love that you really broke down fat liberation in a, in a really clear way. One thing um, I was thinking about that really summarized it so beautifully is something you said really early on about how body positivity is internal and fat liberation is a social justice movement. And you you likened it to use the words body justice, which I think is at the root really what it is. And it's about the access and having um, you know, I call it weight inclusive care across all bounds of, of the way that you, you go about it. I did not make up that term. Just want that to be clear, but that's how I refer to it often. Um, and so I, I think, um, what you, what you said was so clear about what it is. And I think that's the major misconception that happens, especially on, you know, little sound bites on Instagram, people miss out on what this is really about. This isn't just looking at yourself, which is important, right? Like you said, and I think you talked a lot about how your faith really impacted and kind of challenged you to look at yourself differently and say, hey, how have I been using my faith against me? And how can I use my faith for me moving forward? And that was kind of like what I looked at for you, like that first stage. And that's the phase one, right? But people forget about phase two, three, <laughs> and four. And all those phases are what makes it available for everybody. And that's really what it's ultimately about is access to everybody and a fairness in our structure. And I really loved the the story, the the example you gave around going to a party and there being a hierarchy um, in, in um, based on body size. And it, I, I just thought that just painted such a clear picture. I don't think there's many people out there who can't picture that feeling when you walk into a party and you can feel it, right? Like you can feel it and everyone's sizing each other up, literally sizing <laughs> each other up to figure out where do I fit in, in this hierarchy. And I, I think that's what I love so much about the fat liberation movement and how important it is to break that down because there's no space for that. Like you said, there's no space for that. Having those things keeps you from being able to practice you know, and you described as your faith. I'm not faithful, but you, um, it leaves you from being able to practice being a good human and being there for your, for people around you and being a neighbor and being, a, like you said, a loving representation of humanity, <laughs> you know? And so I just really loved that. I think you, you answered the question and then some in a really beautiful way. So thank you, Amanda. Time to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. Let's say you're working through your body image and relationship with food. Hello, duh, isn't that why you're here? You've heard us talk all the time about how going to a therapist or a counselor to help work through the issues we have around food and our bodies, how we use food and exercise as a control or coping mechanism can be really helpful. But finding a therapist that specializes in your needs is hard and in-person therapy can be really expensive. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is an online therapy platform that is 100% privacy protected, affordable, and provides professional counseling services from thousands of licensed, accredited, and board certified therapists. To get started, you fill out an intake questionnaire and BetterHelp matches you with your own counselor. 
who you can see from your own home either over the phone or on a privacy protected video platform. And you can get connected with someone in under 24 hours. No more waiting for weeks to get an appointment with a therapist in your area who you haven't even met. BetterHelp's mission is to provide everyone with easy, affordable, and private access to professional counseling anytime, anywhere. Get started today. Wholehearted Eating listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Dana. That's better, H-E-L-P.com forward slash Dana. Yeah, and I mean, you know, when we think about all these other layers as well, where body positivity stops at, you know, the first layer of just the personal and how you see yourself, what people don't think about who subscribe to body positivity, who are already in able, mostly straight size bodies, is that all of these other levels make it so much harder for people who are in not able, not straight sized bodies, not thin white bodies to work on and to really get to body justice and to the acceptance even on that personal level. All of those other levels are roadblocks, obstacles that can seem insurmountable, especially, I mean, even if you've been working on the personal stuff for a while and then you go to the doctor or you go to sit in a movie theater or on a plane and it's like, I physically can't fit here or I'm having chronic pain and this doctor is just telling me that I should lose weight. It's like, wow, I never thought of that before. <laughs> the the frustrating thing about doctors just prescribing weight loss is, I mean, lots of things. People are hurt, eating disorders get undiagnosed, continue to be undiagnosed. But the, the, the science is not behind weight loss. Um, that's why they recommend cutting out your stomach. Because the programs that they've tried to prescribe for decades never work. And of course, it's blamed on patient, um, what's the word, uh, defiance, that, that patient defiance. But no, it's just because our bodies don't like to go into starvation mode. <laughs> and yeah, so um, it is, let's uh, ampu literally amputate your stomach. I used to think that gastric sleeve, which is the name of one of the weight loss surgeries, put a sleeve over your stomach like made it so that your stomach couldn't expand. And when I learned, no, they actually cut out the part of your stomach that is the bag part and they make your stomach into a tube, like a sleeve. They're amputating usually healthy organ tissue and reducing your ability to absorb life necessary nutrients. That is violence towards fat people, towards people of any size, but the people who are most vulnerable are fat bodies. And in countries besides the United States, there have been cases where um, children with intellectual disabilities in their young uh, teenage years, as young as 12, have been given have been subjected to this horror of, of stomach amputation to control their body size. And they can't consent and they have no say. And that is, honestly, if nothing else about fat liberation moves you, that should move you. A child having their stomach amputated so they don't get fat. I mean, I, I don't know how, I mean, as a mother I, I and as a human, right? Like I can't imagine um, doing that. And I, and I feel that we, as clinical nutritionists, we're taught about the different surgeries and how um, dangerous they are from a clinical standpoint, from a nutritional standpoint. So it always boggles my mind how it's continued to be the um, top, top recommendation. Um, 
and it, it's it's just so incredible. It's just like the perfect representation of how fat phobic the medical industry is and how obsessed they are with, okay, well, we just need to make the body smaller and then everything else will be fine. And um, the downstream effects of that surgery and those types of surgeries are insurmountable like danger. The things that I've seen with clients of mine who have had that surgery done, um, who had elected to get that surgery done um, because they really felt they had no other option. You know, they were told that this is what I have to do um, in order to be healthy and whatever. Um, they end up doing that and then having long-term years later, dumping syndrome, having issues with having um, mal, you know, mal, uh, malnutrition and having low um, different types of nutritional deficiencies and things like that after the fact, and then not given any support of, of how do I work with this now? Now that this has happened to me, how do I then get proper access <laughs> to the knowledge in order to support my body now? If I've been forced to, if I've elected to do this because I felt like I had no other options and this is what I was told to do and I trusted my medical professional to give me um, adequate advice and then you go and do that afterwards, then okay, then now provide me with the support that I need in order to be a healthy li living And instead being. they just leave you high and dry and they don't give you any advice and they don't tell you like how to work with basically this new set of malnourished and really like decapitated organs that you have. And how, and it, we don't, we don't, we don't, we're not going to cut the heart in half, you know, like, I mean, the stomach is important. Like we, we need it for nutritional, like assimilation and breakdown of nutrients and absorption of nutrients. Like, and even in some, they cut off part of um, the duodenum, which is an, a major part of, of, of um, absorption of nutrients too. So to me, it just, it's never, it's always been the representation of true weight stigma and medical uh, fat phobia in just the biggest way possible to me. And the studies that we have post-surgery are unreliable because a lot of them are not long-term. They, they stop at two years post-surgery. And if the surgery doesn't quote work and the patient stays fat, the social stigma of going back to the doctor even after this procedure is so great that a lot of patients do not follow up um, because they know they will be perceived as the reason. Um, I have had friends of friends. I don't have anyone personally I know that has died because of complications of weight loss surgery, but a good friend of mine watched a friend die and it is, I, I'm waiting for the true crime podcast about weight loss surgery. Um, so if anybody wants to start investigating that and um, produce it, uh, I'm, I'm here for whatever you need. <laughs> yeah, and you are, you are clearly a, a wealth of knowledge. So, so if someone's listening and interested, please on our show notes, we'll have all the places where you can find Amanda and get her input uh, throughout all of this. Um, this has been amazing. Um, and so many layers of, of so many questions that you have, you've answered for us. And I hope, and you've given so many thoughtful um, things for people to think about more. I would love for you to share, because I think it's really important for people to hear, especially people in, um, been able-bodied to hear they need this message and I think they need to know the danger of this message and if you haven't I hope that this entire episode is an education for everybody um but a common phrase that people use that is really toxic is I feel fat and I know you've talked about that and it being inherently fat phobic and I loved the way that you broke that down in a way of what is the tone and the tone tells the story of what that means and why it's that way. And I'd love for you to share more about how the phrase, a very commonly used phrase, is really harmful and very um, exclusatory of other people and hurtful to other people. And I'd love for you to, to break that down. So <clears throat> fat is not a feeling. 
And when people say that they feel fat, what that is code for is I'm bloated and that makes me uncomfortable. I'm fitting, my clothes aren't fitting as well as they have before and it's making me uncomfortable. Um, I ate a big meal and am having indigestion and I'm uncomfortable. And these are always negative observations about fatness. Fatness is an accessibility issue. Can you get life-saving medical care in a compassionate setting? Can you access clothing that is required for professionalism and leisure? And can you join the social milieu of our nation uh, or Western culture in swimming in a bathing suit or enjoying your food in public without people commenting on you, just freedom from prejudice. When you're in a straight sized body, and by that um, we mean clothing that's accessible in um, Target without going to the plus size section because those are usually hidden in the back by the changing room and clearance racks. If you're in straight, a straight-sized body and you say that you feel fat, what you're saying is it's not okay to be fat. It's uncomfortable to be fat. And I wish I could change anything. The worst thing for my life is to be fat. And it is okay to feel bloated. It is okay to feel overly full and have indigestion. And it's okay to have clothes that you've outgrown. If we blame that on fatness rather than diet culture that has told us that our goal of life is to be thinner, we're blaming the, the wrong person, the wrong culture. There is joy in fatness. There is life and love and good sex and um, adventure and excitement. And there is pain and rejection and struggle and illness because we're human, not because we're fat. I love that I have fewer wrinkles than other people because I'm fat. And that's not because I don't like wrinkles. It's because it's like a, a big F you to, to the, you know, skincare industry who's sold me this lie that I need to be wrinkle free. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, I have so much joy in being my full self. It gives other people to, permission to be their full selves. And no matter what the size of their body, fat liberation is freedom for everybody. And my goodness, I, there are times when the burden of, the social burden of fatness weighs heavily, pun intended, um, on me because it just takes so much more energy to live. Um, and to be accepted, to prove that I belong at the table. I'm making my own table and I'm inviting everybody to come and eat ice cream. <laughs> um, I, I sell things in my Etsy shop based around the phrase, all bodies are good bodies. And people ask me all the time, how can a sick body be good? How can a disabled body be a good body? Like we're supposed to use our bodies to serve others or I don't know, be healthy. And we, in the, in philosophy, something is good that fulfills its purpose. 
So I have to ask myself, what is the purpose of my body? I know it's not thinness. It's not um, ableism because I'm disabled and I'm okay. Like, that's okay. It's not perfection. The purpose of my body is relationship with myself, with others, and my higher power. Any body can have relationship, no matter their size, ability, orientation, um, race. Like People who have been in comas for years have relationships. We hear of them waking sometimes and saying, I could hear everything. I was there. I just couldn't open my eyes. I couldn't talk to you. When, when I was pregnant with my kids, I had a relationship with them inside of me. And I, I had resentment <laughs> because they were kicking my bladder um, and giving me uh, heartburn. But I had a relationship with them, even though they couldn't talk. Um, elderly people, their bodies are good. They have so much to give us in wisdom and experience and pain and life. The purpose of my body is relationship, not perfection. And that's what I hope everybody that I encounter learns. Because we have to redefine once we redefine the purpose, we can do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Amazing. Thank you for that, Amanda. For lack of a better word, I hope this episode has been extremely not only educational, but super liberating for people and just kind of like a warm hug of you're okay exactly as you are and it's going to be okay. And even if you don't feel okay as you are right now, there are plenty of resources going Amanda's way to help you, you know, find that place of peace and love and relationship, just like you said. So if you could please share with everybody all of the places they can find you, that would be awesome. Okay. Um, first off, my first book uh, for people um, of Christian faith uh, is called Lovely, How I Learned to Embrace the Body God Gave Me. It is explicitly Christian, I think, and explicitly Catholic, but I think it's a great read um, if you want a story of how a fat person found freedom in a religious setting. Um, my second book, More of You, The Fat Girl's Field Guide to the Modern World, will come out in April 2022. So uh, finishing of the manuscript and looking forward to having that from Broadleaf Books. But when it goes on pre-order, probably in July, I will let y'all know. And so those are my books. Writing, I, um, amandamartinezbeck.com slash writing has articles, all the articles I've ever written on body liberation and some of the podcasts I've been on, I haven't been very good at keeping up with that. The social media places, mainly uh, Instagram, my handle is your body is good. I talk about life in a fat body, share fat liberation. Um, and I have good handwriting and love to make handwriting videos. Um, I That's really fun for me. But also I'm learning to do the TikTok style video. Um, so I'm really cute. You should come and look. Um, and I have a Facebook group called All Bodies Are Good Bodies. And it's a forum of over a thousand people, just place where people can be their full fat selves. You don't have to be fat to join, but it is a fat positive space. Lamenting doctor's office visits and getting psyched up for going to them. And just a, it's, it's a true community. I'm floored at how we can make 
human connection through um, digital spaces. It's really exciting. And then on my podcast, Fat and Faithful, it is available on iTunes and they don't call it iTunes anymore. Apple podcasts and um, other places wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I think, I think that's it. Oh, oh no, it's not. <laughs> I, uh, my website for my business is called um, goodbodycoach.com and I do body image coaching. Um, and I know that you all do too. I'm there to give a fat option. If you don't feel comfortable talking to a straight sized person about what life is like in a fat body, come talk to me. I, I, I am there. <laughs> and um, I have a Patreon, Amanda M. Beck, and my Etsy shop, good shirt, goodbodyshirts.com, to give you um, gear for the journey, mantras to remember, and um, stickers to slap wherever you need to slap them. So I believe that is all the places I am. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Amanda. And yes, we actually talk about that in our course and, and stuff to saying, hey, we recognize <laughs> that we're uh, uh, straight-bodied individuals talking about this. And we think it's really important for people to surround themselves with people who look like them and who can share in their reality and in their story. And so we can't always provide that. So yes, please check out Amanda's courses. It's amazing. And then another thing as another mom to another mom, uh, Amanda also has these adorable shirts that are also in kid sizes that are all bodies are good bodies. And I'm planning on buying one for me and one for Elodie, my little daughter. And so um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that all the moms out there knew that your kids can get shirts too, and they're super cute, and <laughs> they're really fun colors, and I love them. So yes, thank you so much, Amanda, for, for being on and everything that you've shared. It was just, you were an incredible guest. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a delight. Hey friends, it's Christina. Thanks for listening to the Whole Heart of Eating podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can, leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies using wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning how we can work with me or Dana for one-on-one nutrition counseling, or you want to check out one of our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. See you next week.